This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Sim Wibud. December is finally here and many of you may be thinking right now, how did the year go by so quickly? In fact, some of you might even go, how did the past decade fly by so fast? One minute, you're just a young teen rebelling against your parents. The next, you're a full-grown adult with responsibilities. And for many aspects of growing up, there's really no official guidebook or handbook, you know, how to find a job, how to do your taxes. There are books out there, but at the end of the day, you just have to learn and discover these journeys for yourself. Money is one such aspect. Throughout my life, the guiding principle that my parents taught me was just to save up, not waste money, but really nothing more complicated than that. It's only as I grew older, got a job, made some mistakes and started asking questions that I learned more about money. And I think this is really what the book Bergaji Dan Pokai by Ringgit O Ringgit founder Soraya Zainuddin really touches on and resonates with me. It's written as a book for people who are just beginning their financial journey, be it drawing your first salary, hitting your first financial milestone, and you want to take things more seriously or take it to the next level. So for today's episode, I have Soraya herself uh, on the show to talk about this book. And just to preface this, the book is in Malay, but to me, it is an easy read and straight to the point. And you have a ba- if you have a basic understanding of the language, it really shouldn't be an issue. So with that, good morning, Soraya, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's nice to be back again. So I want to start off talking about the book uh, from a more bigger picture aspect, right, where it really hit me at the get-go when I flipped through the first few pages was you talked about your approach towards money, your thinking of money, why you love money, right? So maybe you can talk to our listeners a bit about what is wealth to you and how do you view money and wealth? So I took inspiration from this one book that I read all the way back, but some years back, it's called Emotional Currency, and it's by Kit Levinson, PhD. And in the book, she explores, you know, like, if money is just money, if money is just a tool, as much as we want to see it as just a tool, we've been taught that, you know, money is just a tool. We humans, we always attach emotions to our belongings. So what's ours, we will always attach emotions to it. What is my cup? My mug is more valuable than your cup or your mug, right? So money, even more so. So when you ask people about what money means to them, you'll get a range of answers. And what helps a lot in the book is you open up something called uh, emotional wheel. You can look it up. You can Google this. Look up at the emotion wheel and then look up what kind of range of emotions that you feel when it comes to money. Depending on you know, some people, you'll get different answers. Some people, like money for them is success. Other people, money for them is security. It could be happiness. It could be guilt. It could be respect. It could be worry, anxiety. It could be power. It's a really good exercise. And, um, you know, you should discover what money means to you and whether you actually like it that way or not. Like, do you like that it represents success to you? Do you like that it represents worry to you? Do you like that it represents guilt to you? You know, bring it back, like my own approach towards money. Like when I did this exercise for myself, I see money as security. So I have written about this before and I've said that money is like my security blanket. So it's my, you know, I consider it like my last day of defense. I would, I believe that as a woman existing in a fairly patriarchal society, having money and having financial knowledge makes me feel safe. And you want to be safe. You want to feel safe. So I took it upon myself 
to learn about money, to learn about financial management so I could feel safer in an unsafe world. Aside from that, money also makes me feel empowered. So I can make a lot of decisions for myself because I have this, um, you know, I have this knowledge. I can decide how to spend my time, who I can work with, who I want to work with, who to cut ties with, how to live my life. That is all that money represents to me. But for other people, you know, money could be like, like uh, it could be status, which is completely fine. It could be um, something that, that shows that they are a good provider, which is completely fine. So just, you know, what it represents to you really depends on your personal situation. Yeah, I think that is really important to note, right? Where you have to look deep within yourself first and really understand what money means to you before you actually start thinking about money in a bigger picture, right? So um, I also read that one of the reasons, you, you explained it in the book, you know, well, why you wrote this book was to help people who want to learn about money, but can find it overwhelming. And, and, and I think that is very true for many people, for many Malaysians especially, right? So let's go through the start, right? I mean, how do you think one should start their financial journey, start learning about money. Where do you even begin, right? Um, I outline the step-by-step -step guideline to your own personal, uh, personal money management. There are five steps. Not simple, but it is, you know, simple in theory. But I also gave sort of like the timeline on how long each step will take. I also put in the fact that, you know, sometimes it, these things, it depends on your luck and your privilege as well. Some people start off from step three and some people need to start off from step one and step one the most basic is emergency savings so your priority if you don't have emergency savings yet is to complete that step first non-investing not you know like not insurance yet i give a few tips and, and tricks in the book like if you do these things you can complete this and as as fast as, as a few months and then you can move on to to step step two and then as you go on to later steps and then you can go to, to other things like investing and insurance and, and all those things um you know after you complete your emergency saving which is step one you pay off your debt your high interest debt for step two um and then so on and so forth until you build your um you know three to six months and even beyond savings and then you start with uh, investing and diversifying your investing and then the final step is really to, to give back. Um, I, I talked a little bit about wealth hoarding and uh, about how it is our duty as citizens, as, as, as fellow community members, to help other people, especially if you are someone who already completed your whole, like, you know, like financial, financial management, you have like more than enough money for this lifetime, maybe even 10 lifetimes. Uh, it is your duty to help someone with who are just trying to complete their step one, for example. Step one, step two can take as little as a few months, a few weeks. If you're unlucky, you might you know go to step two and then go back to step one, depending on what happens. But as long as you follow the step by step, it will help a lot in your journey in um, doing financial management because you know what you need to do at that immediate point. It helps you to stop or reduce your, your feeling of being overwhelmed you know exactly, okay, these are the things that you should focus on. As you progress, you can focus on other stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's a great guideline. I think it's a simple enough guideline for many people to follow without being too overwhelmed by all this other information, right? Uh, just to recap again, I think, you know, this if you do pick up the book, this is in page 155, right? It's, you know, Langka ke ara kebebasan kewangan, which is financial freedom. And step one, uh, which might take a few weeks, so a few months is to have a thousand ringgit in your emergency savings. Step two, pay off your high interest loans. That's your credit card, I guess, and uh, God forbid BNPL and all that. Take a few months to a few years. And as you mentioned, you know, you might go back and forth between step one and step two, and that's okay. Um, step three, which will take a few months to a few years, is to build up the six, uh, three to six months um, savings, uh, emergency savings, you know, expand it. So that these, I think this this is when it allows you to have the freedom to like, you know what, uh, if this job is not working out for me, I can look for another job. If I need to short break, you know, I can take the short break for my mental health. If there's any family of emergency, I can help out, right? Then step four and five, which is the... The, the, the whole life goal, right, which is to increase your income, invest, and finally give back when you can. So these are really, I think this is a really great way to start off your financial journey and have the overall kind of like guideline. And then through it in between, if there's any branches that you want to take forth or you want to discover yourself, go ahead, no problem. And I think that's great. I want to talk about now um, your approach towards saving money, some tips that you have on how to kind of like save money. When it comes to saving money, um, the three biggest expenses for most people, not everyone, but for most people are these three things. Accommodation, transportation, and food. Ideally speaking, if you can keep these three expenses around 30% to 50% of your take-home salary, you should be okay. Your financial management is on the right track. But we all know that many people probably spend more on 50% on accommodation, transportation, and food. Some people might even spend even 50% of their take-home salary on accommodation alone or transportation alone, depending on the circumstances, right? However, in the book, I did outline a few strategies that people can use um, to, to reduce or dra even drastically reduce these expenses if they choose to. Um, but if you can't, again, these are all like personal circumstances, if you can't reduce accommodation and transportation costs, the only other one to take control of is food. And this is assuming that this is a person without like spending addiction. In essence, if you talk about saving money, the practical side of it is very easy. It's like, oh, just save lah, right? Just like, Yeah, that's what everyone says. <laughs> uh, yeah, just save lah. Like, what, what's, what's so hard about it? Like, just like spend X amount in this, in that, in this and that. Like, keep it like, low. But... I focus a lot in the book about financial anxiety, right? And if it is easy, everyone will be good at saving money, right? But because of financial anxiety, when you worry about money, this is where a lot of problems start. You tend to prioritize short-term financial decisions rather than long-term. It is very easy to understand why someone would do like not really like great financial decisions when they're worried about money. Um, I'll give you a few examples. Like if you worry about food tomorrow, you won't put away the money to invest because you need it for tomorrow. If your career prospects are, you know, bleak, okay, if Malaysia, for example, don't have the jobs that are suitable for your skill set, then you think to yourself, like, might as well be happy today, might as well make an affordable luxury purchase, might as well go on, on travel, might as well be happy today because, like, in the future, my chances to be happy is, like, not, not so great. And it is completely understandable. And that's all related to financial anxiety. That it is a completely a myth when people say, like, like poor people make, make bad financial decisions. It's absolutely false. It's a myth. It's more to people who have financial anxiety 
tend to make poor financial decisions and it's related to stress you know when you're stressed you're you know as humans we try to counterbalance stress with things that make us happy it can be as easy as you know eating something nice it can be as um hard as um you know splurging on something that doesn't necessarily make sense and unfortunately we as a nation we are full of people who don't make enough money many people just make 2000 3000 ringgit and you know people suffer from financial anxiety and you need to address that so that you know why it is hard for you to to save money even though you should and that leads to i call this like the loop of despair like when you have financial anxiety you make poorer financial decisions and then you have financial you have more financial stress and then you make poorer financial decisions and then you get into more financial anxiety and you just get stuck in that loop and, and it's really hard to get out of it that there's some practical ways to get out of the loop of despair a lot of it is related to like back the government policies but the things in the book i focus on things that we can control ourselves what can we do in our own power i think that by addressing the struggles to to save up money by addressing the guilt that comes with it for example everyone feels guilty everyone has regret spending i have regret spending when we address it we learn that okay i i did this bad financial decision because of this it is not because i'm not good enough it's not because i have no willpower it's because of these other reasons as well it's all compounded it's a stressful world and um i hope that in this journey people will you know start to realize that there are many things in your control but there's also many things that are outside your control and you should learn what they are so that you should blame yourself when you do slip up and make mistakes because it will happen yeah i think that's important know what's outside of your control and know what's in your control and take these tiny steps to begin to to kind of like get a hold of those that you can control so i'm going to take a short break for some messages don't go anywhere stay tuned bfm 89.9 Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Weeboon. Today we have with us the founder of the financial blog Ringgit or Ringgit, Soraya Zainuddin, and we're here to talk about her new book Bergaji Dan Pokai. The book is a simple guide to kickstarting your personal finance journey. She condenses big picture concepts to easy to understand examples, and hopefully readers feel less stress about money when reading this. Earlier in the show, before the break, we were discussing about why it's hard to save, and now Soraya, I want to talk about the motivations for spending. How do you approach spending, especially from the the context of what you've illustrated in your book when it comes to spending money i will be the first to admit that i still don't have this under control like 100% of the time that would require someone to be emotionless and you know what i'm you know i'm i'm human not a robot right? yeah we're all human and we're all human exactly and people spend because of emotions and marketers know this okay i'll give you an example right let's say you want to buy a car And then you have a budget already. Okay, I'm not going to spend more than this amount. I know how much I have allocated in my budget. Okay, I can afford let's say 500 ringgit a month. Okay, you go to the showroom, but the salesperson is stacked with, you know, their own um, scripts in order to persuade you to upgrade for 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 a better car. Right. For example, they might want to they they might use a script where they want you to upgrade, like add on, like here and there for better safety. And for men, they they might give you scripts like, oh, you know, by having this, you can protect your family better. By having this, uh, you know, your your family will be safer. Like what men wouldn't want that? That's emotion, right? And then if a woman, they would 
speak the, the same script, they would remind them, the world is dangerous out there. Now, why don't you upgrade to this one? This one has a security lock and this particular enhancement will help you with um, whatever it is, like X, Y, and Z, right? And then you will be like, yes, of course, safety is important. It's really hard to argue against safety. And you might adjust, oh, it's only 50 ringgit more. It's only 100 ringgit more. And in return, I'll get better safety. And this is... You know, this you can see this marketing trick like it's just over and over again. It's the reason why in 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 sales copies they always put from how much they will always put like the lowest, the most basic model. But if you want to upgrade for safety reasons, for example, we're not talking about like aesthetic reasons. We're not even talking about like adding a rim here or whatever there. But adding like safety, it would increase the monthly amount by 100, 200 ringgit more. And you are, you know, you have exceeded your budget. And then compound this for, for a lot of things, for, for accommodation, for for food, for, you know, you can always argue, especially for accommodation and food. It's like you can always argue for safety. You can always argue for health. And it's hard to argue against this kind of uh, persuasive arguments. So um, if I have, <laughs> if I do have the secret trick to control spending, I think could make a lot of money. But again, I still struggle with it. It's if only if it, it's as easy as just put twenty percent of your money away, then you know, like everyone would be financially stable. Everyone would have no problem with, with um, with with saving money. But um, you, but equally, I I think there's a lot of tips that you can try in the book. You can pick the ones that you want to try. Uh, I can only share my favorite way of, of trying to combat my own spending habit. Um, I love learning about marketing. I love learning about advertising. And uh, nowadays, I can identify a little bit like what strategies a company does in order to get my money, right? And then you can see this like, everywhere. Like, okay, does they do they offer me discount? Do they track me from one you know from one platform to another? Do they give me re repeated exposure? Right? I can I can recognize this. Um, do they like employ um, influencer marketing and get people who I really like in order to get to me, right? And I feel satisfied when I can recognize this, this, this attempts. I feel satisfied when I don't give in. It's like a, it's like a yes, like your trick doesn't work on me kind of thing. It's a, it, you know, as much as possible, I, I, I try to, to recognize the marketing and the advertising that goes behind, you know, increasing my desire, especially for things that are frivolous. But I, I still, you know, once in a while, I still, I, it, I'm only human. Yeah, that's that's really great. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all new humans, right? But I like this approach. You have this tip that I think is really good. Um, it's um, this. Uh, I think you referenced a bubble tea or a shop shop right where you know they usually give the uh, smaller size the a uh, high price so that the bigger size drink in comparison seems affordable. It didn't hit me until I read that, right? Where, or say you go to a place, the drink, the small size is six ringgit, but the big size is seven ringgit. So you immediately go towards the seven ringgit one because you think like, it's more worth it. These are things which is very interesting. And when you think about it, it actually makes you feel like maybe, maybe you know what? I don't really need to do this. I can uh, make juice at home. I don't really need to buy this expensive juice, right? But again, 
we're all human and spending is an emotional response. If that particular moment makes you feel good and you feel like you can afford it, then go ahead. By all means, go ahead, right? Okay, lastly then, you know, before we end, right, for all the readers of this book or potential readers from the book, right, what are the key takeaways that you'd like them to have? I think first and foremost is that I've been told that the book is simple to read. And I actually included a lot of complex things inside the book. Everything from like what you mentioned just now about the Boba thing, Boba tea thing. Like that's price psychology. I talk about the role of marketing and advertising. I talked about, you know, uh, macroeconomics. I talked about psychology. So these are all complex things that I have hopefully simplified for readers um, that they can learn in an easy way um, in the book. So I think that even if you're a beginner, definitely pick it up. If Even if you are intermediate and you haven't read all the sort of like advanced kind of book, you know, thinking, I have included a lot of the concepts. I think the final takeaway that I want to give is if you are one of those people who suffer from guilt and you blame yourself for your own money situation, you think that you're not earning enough, you think that you should have saved more, you think that you should have resisted, uh, you know, more. I want you to know that there are so many external factors at play that causes you to act the way that you do. You don't exist in a vacuum. Know why you act the way that you do. It's not, sometimes it's you, absolutely. Sometimes it is you. But sometimes it is also all the other factors that causes you to behave a certain way that is probably not in your best interest. I would like Bergaji and Pokai to remove at least that view of guilt. This is the kind of book that I wish I would have read when I first started out, especially as someone who was told that when everyone is, is young and they're all idealistic, you know, we can we can do this and, and that. And then it helps you to become more realistic in your money management. There's a reason why the full title is Bergaji and Pokai Membina Kehidupan Bebas Tekanan Melalui Pengurusan Kewangan Yang Realistic. Being realistic is a huge part of, of the book. I'm not promising any like you read this you become rich not at all okay this is your starting point and then by the end of it there are more that you need to do definitely if you need to start somewhere it's a good start at the end, the, the ideal scenario is to feel a bit better about yourself and how you approach money, not to be so nervous because for many people, it can be a nerve-wracking subject. And with that, thank you. That's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Suraya Zayanuddin. She's the founder of the finance blog, ringgitoringgit.com and author of this book, Bergaji Dan Pokai. Please pick it up. It's available on all major bookstores. Yes, correct. And online. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. I'm Sim Boon from The Morning Run, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.